Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast, where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And today, in this episode, we're talking about stress. I don't know, something about talking about stress felt really relevant to the beginning of the school year. Joining me in this conversation today is Dr. Giovanna Rodriguez. Dr. Rodriguez is a colleague here at the University of Oregon. She's an assistant professor of school psychology in the special education and clinical sciences department of the College of Education. Sorry, I had to take a breath there. I just ran out of air. (laughs) It's a mouthful. But I mean, like the thing is that all of us here, if any of you work in academia, we all have the same kind of description that we have to rattle off whenever someone asks us what we do here at the university. Like, like mine is, my name's Megan Cave. I'm a senior research assistant at Educational and Community Supports, which is a research unit housed within the College of Education. <sighs> See? So anyway, we're not, it's not about that. We're talking about Giovanna here. So Giovanna is a superstar. Her training is in school psychology and her focus is on understanding mental health challenges in children and adolescents with autism spectrum disorder and other types of neurodevelopmental disabilities. When I reached out to her to ask her to join me in this conversation, I was super grateful when she said yes. Professionally, sure, I was excited because this podcast just doesn't work without an expert joining me. This isn't a one-woman show. But also personally, I was really excited to talk to her because she knows about stress responses in the classroom. And she has some solid, really tangible, super accessible strategies all of us can use to handle the stress in our lives. So we explored today the impact that stress has on our mental health and how we can work together to create a community of support around our students and with each other. Hi, Giovanna. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad that we could could catch up with you today. Thanks so much. Um, Well, you're a stranger to everybody who's listening, probably. Well, maybe not. Maybe you've got some friends. You're like, hey, I'm on a podcast. (laughs) But tell everybody who's listening uh, just a little bit about who you are and uh, what brings you to this work of school psychology. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm an assistant professor of school psychology at the University of Oregon. So uh, my department is the special education and clinical sciences department. Um, So I teach some courses in school psychology, but also dabble in some courses in counseling psychology. Um, So my role within the college is to, you know, help the training of future school practitioners um, enrolled in our master's and doctoral level program. Um, So that kind of brings me here today, but I'm originally from California. So I've moved to Eugene in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. So it's been an interesting transition, but um, been loving Eugene so far. Nice. What part of California are you from? I'm from Riverside, California. So shout out nice. to the Inland Empire and folks here. There. <laughs> but I spent some time in the Midwest too. So ah, traveled quite a bit. Come to us from around the country. <laughs> yeah. Great. Great. Um, so you've been doing, I bet you've been doing a little bit of virtual teaching too during the last yeah. school year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my virtual teaching started in spring term uh, in 2019. And then pretty much all last year was all remote. So been an interesting Hopefully you can get into the classroom this year yeah <laughs> you've been here for a while now two years and you haven't set foot in a classroom yet that's great yeah 
<laughs> um, well, so today we're we're talking about stress in school, which is something I think that all of us can relate to. I don't think that there's anyone who has um, who's listening that would say that the last year and a half of their life has been stress-free. Um, and from some of the research that I have been doing on the topic recently related to the pandemic and what we've been going through as um, a collective, suggests that not only are we stressed out by the things that we're regularly stressed out by, but, you know, the global health crisis has only compounded everything. So, um, so essentially we're talking about living with sustained anxiety and stress for the last year and a half. It's not something that comes and goes. It's like constant at this point. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about like what kind of impact that has on our physical health as well as our mental health. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Like we have experienced daily stressors in our lives and we know that some stress and anxiety is, is actually good for us. Like it kicks our body into gear and it helps us respond to a situation that's right in front of us. Um, but definitely agree that, you know, research has consistently shown that prolonged periods of stress and chronic stress at that um, really has this negative impact on our physical and mental health. So we see research showing that we definitely see um, more kind of weakened immune system responses as a result Mm -hmm. of chronic stress um, that can actually lead to like high blood pressure issues with um, obesity. Um, The COVID-15 was a thing. I personally experienced that. And so we see a lot of kind of changes in our, in our health, maybe more frequent um, body aches and pains that we weren't normally seeing. Um, And those health problems, especially in a time of COVID has really, you know, affected our perception of risk and safety as well. And so that has actually contributed to a lot more issues of anxiety and depression um, around Mm -hmm. these issues. Um, I think for me, myself, I, I noticed my memory for things wasn't as sharp as it used to be. I was forgetting things or my attention seemed really spread out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dealing with a lot more aches and pains. And, and when I went out in public, I was much more hypervigilant than usual, right? Like a lot more anxious around these kind of public situations. Um, and that's because the research shows that, you know, our brains are wired differently in response to like prolonged stress. And, and we see changes in kind of more primitive areas of our brain, like the amygdala that's responsible for that fight or flight response. Yes. Um, in some cases, if we've experienced trauma, it's more of a freeze response, right? Where we mm-hmm. really kind of dissociate from, from these really stressful situations that may cause us emotional or physical pain. Um, and, and other areas that are affected are also kind of like the hippocampus, the area that's responsible for kind of keeping and storing salient information. And so we see kind of those things impacting maybe our memory. Mm. Um, And I think with some of the things you mentioned, we definitely see a lot more developing mental health problems. And I think these conditions have like depression and anxiety um, have become more prominent in our youth as well. Yeah, I've, uh, I have two kiddos and one of them seems to be doing okay. Um, Except when I say that I have somewhere to be. And then it's like, where are you going? Where are you going? I don't, how they're going to be gone. You know, it's, um, and then like you were saying, I've noticed for myself, my appetite has shifted. 
some days I'm eating all the time. Other days I forget to eat. Um, and I'm the kind of person that likes to have control over a situation. I like to know what's happening and what's coming. And very soon into this pandemic time, I realized that I don't actually have any control over anything, really, any of the changes that were coming my way. And it was a hard transition for sure. Um, but yeah, I've, I don't know, it's a, it's a really strange thing to, to know that what I'm feeling right now, I feel normal, but I think when I get a chance to experience like actual normalcy in my life, I realize how much stress I've actually been carrying around with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm concerned about that part of things, (laughs) but for now, like if I'm feeling okay, I'm feeling okay. Uh, um, yeah. So, um, so we know that if we are experiencing this as adults, our students are experiencing it too. In the research, like I was telling you, the, um, American, uh, psychology association, the APA, they, um, asked people in August, 2020, how they were feeling and, um, adults, they asked like 3000 adults and about a thousand teenagers, 13 to 17, I think it was, um, how things were going for them. And the most, like the saddest thing that I got out of that was students were feeling like planning for their future was an impossible task. Like they couldn't even think about what their future looks like. Uh, It was like 51% of them said that. And it like struck me as like, oh, the impact is real, like not only on their current person, but on their ability to to see what's coming next for themselves in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about like the ways that this stress and all of this anxiety will manifest itself in behaviors in classrooms. Like what will we see from students? What might be what might we be more likely to see in classrooms this year compared to previous years, just knowing what we know about how we're responding to this current time? Yeah, that's, you know, that's such an important point because, you know, pre-pandemic, um, you know, one in five children between the ages of 13 and 18 is was more likely to have a mental health condition or some yeah. mental health condition. So that, that you know ratio alone was very salient to school yes. practitioners and and the focus on mental health in schools um because in in pre-pandemic times we were still dealing with a lot of these issues right we were still dealing with like depression panic anxiety you know performance anxiety like students dealing with stressors about kind of their academic prospects and future and, and success Um, We were also dealing with issues of grief, loss, and trauma. You know, suicide rates were still skyrocketing during that time. Um, What we're seeing now is that the frequency and intensity of some of these things is a lot more severe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're seeing kind of an increase um, in in these issues that students are um, reporting and experiencing. Um, there's also a lot more issues that have resulted from, you know, homelessness and displacement. Um, a lot of families were separated during this time, um, mm-hmm. either because of deportation or some other issues. Um, there was a lot of displacement too. The fires really disrupted a lot of yes. um, living situations for our students. And so 
some of these things, do we, you know, do we call it a mental health condition or do we call it a response to just these adverse events in children's environments? That's a good Uh, point. mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, we go as school practitioners, we go through this problem identification of really trying to address the issues that are presenting, but these behaviors are presenting very differently within the school context. Um, so we may see issues of, you know, irritability and anger, rapid mood shifts that are happening as a result of this. Um, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can relate for sure. Yeah, and I think you know also just prolonged isolation and school closures have also amplified a lot of already existing vulnerabilities in in some of our students that have marginalized identities, right? Like students with disabilities, students of color, students that identify as LGBTQ. And so I think for some of these things, um, some of the behaviors that we may see may be things that we were talking about, right? Like irritability and anger, Mm -hmm. students becoming more argumentative or easily bothered Mm -hmm. uh, or annoyed. Uh, we may have students that are more short-tempered than usual, and that could present very differently um, in these changes. What we saw, too, during the pandemic um, was that students were becoming less motivated or engaged in the learning process altogether, so they were not logging into Zoom or not logging into um, their school website to check in and and complete assignments Mm -hmm. and things. Um, So they were neglecting their school responsibilities altogether. Yes. Um, In other cases, when they did come in back in person, we students may may have seemed a little bit more inattentive, more kind of aloof. Um, We definitely saw changes too, and just parents were reporting changes in sleeping habits at home yeah at home at eating habits that they were getting sick more often than usual so just reporting a lot more headaches more stomach aches these are all somatic symptoms of of anxiety like we talked about before Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely um as you were talking I don't know if you saw it did you watch Blue's Clues when you were a kid I saw the recent video. Oh my God. So, so I used <laughs> to watch the closure I needed in my life. <laughs> coming back. I used to, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I feel seen. Yeah. I, uh, I, so I used to watch blues blues for people who don't know. It was this uh, show on Nickelodeon where this man, Steve, he had, uh, he wore his green striped shirt and uh, he had a little, a uh, little dog who was a blue dog. Mm-hmm. And they would come, there would be clues. There'd be something that you had to figure out by the end of the episode and you had to figure it out. It was, it's like this cutesy little thing, but he was so engaging. Like he would ask a question and like, wait for your response. And I'd be on the other side be like, ah, it's, over, it's behind the couch, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then at the, at one point, Steve went to college, like in yeah. LA. <laughs> and he had to leave just out of nowhere. He just left. And so there was this episode where he like transitioned us all to meet his brother who was going to take over. And that was that, but like, there was no closure. Well, on social media, was it yesterday? Yeah. (laughs) Steve made a comeback and he like, he told us all that he's been thinking about us. (laughs) He's he's proud of us. That we look great. great. (laughs) 
<laughs> like all of that, right? And like, I bring this up to say that like, there have been moments in the last year and a half that have just like opened me up a little bit and like really made me feel some stuff. And, um, and like, honestly, how as like silly as it is, his little like one minute video really like it touched me mm-hmm. and him just saying that he, he was proud of me and that I was doing a good job and that things are hard, but we're all trying like all of that, just like, it really did resonate. And it like, it was emotional, you know, <laughs> I had like an emotional response to it. And so there are just these moments where like, I start to see that the impact of carrying around the weight of mm-hmm. ev- everything I'm pointing around at everything It is uh, has been so much and you don't realize how much it is until there's like something that just like tips you over the edge just for a minute. And for me, it's resulted in a lot of like, just like quiet time where I'm not, I don't, I'm a, I talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, my response has been to like, stop talking and I get very quiet and I just like, I get sad or whatever, but for other people, it might be that in that moment, it's too much. And it just becomes an explosion. It could be that, you know, there, there's like something that there's like a, a, someone yells in a classroom or they like throw down their notebook or just something, because it's just like, I don't know. There's like this visceral response when things are too much that you just like your body just goes into its natural reaction to things. And um, so I would imagine that there would be some like something small where someone might just like put their pencil down normally becomes like a, I'm going to hit the desk with it, or I'm just going to like set my hand, my head and my hand and just like be quiet for a second becomes now my head is on the desk and I'm not even listening to what you're saying. It's just like an exaggerated form of whatever our response is going to be. Or the teacher their morning cup of coffee on their way to class that they like preparing for. And then now that disrupts their whole like morning. Their whole vibe is shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, So what are, what are some things that we can do? We're talking to teachers now, what are some ways that teachers can respond to these behaviors so that kids are staying in class right but they're you know the behavior is actually addressed you know to try and improve it what are some some things that maybe we can do to set them up to be successful and what are some things that we might be able to do in the moment yeah and I think you know going back to to something you mentioned earlier was you know how your child was starting to experience kind of more separation anxiety yes. when mm-hmm. we're having to leave or go somewhere. Um, we definitely are seeing a lot more issues of developmental trauma of just kids that, you know, because they, you know, development doesn't stop, right? And because of COVID, we we saw a lot of disruption in, in kids' normal kind of developmental progression yes. of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their sense of safety of kind of what's predictable, what's not predictable, and even just like their body responses and just their personal integrity was really compromised during this time. Um, And so that's an important thing for teachers to keep in mind, right, is that all behavior is communication, right, you know, and that ways that kids are responding to things may not 
it's not personal. It's not a personal attack on you or what you're doing, but that kids are really going through some things right now. And we need to really get at the root of what is causing that behavior Mm -hmm. um, because they are trying to communicate something. Mm -hmm. And so for teachers, um, what would be really important is really establishing, you know, a sense of physical safety in the class and within the school. And so when we think about school climate, um, I actually listened to one of your other podcasts and you had Ah. people talking about (laughs) school climate. So I did my research before too. And (laughs) and it really is all about building relationships, right? But building relationships that are authentic and genuine, like kids can recognize when something is very superficial or when someone's just checking in just kind of because they have to and doing it on, a, you know, if they're going through a checklist and just saying, hi, how are you? They, they really want to be heard and seen um, and to really feel that they are cared for. Um, and so we need to be much more intentional this year about how we're doing that and the ways in which we're doing that. Um, because we want to really make sure that we're establishing a, not a community of support within our class, but also mm-hmm. creating an emotional climate where responses like that are normalized, you know? I see that you're feeling very frustrated and upset. I would be too. This is yeah. a frustrating situation. What yeah. would be some ways that I can help support you right now? You uh-huh. know, and giving choices, right? Giving students that sense of agency over what's going on in their life and how they're responding to it. Because like you said, that loss of control, <sighs> is really feeding into that stress and anxiety. And so we need to give students the confidence that they can handle the problem that's right in front of them. But we need to give- so smart. I mean, when I think, when you were mentioning safety before, I was thinking like physical safety, you know, that, um, but what you're talking about is like so smart where you're, 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 Build, by building relationships, you're establishing a connection with someone and saying that like I see you as a real person with real feelings and that you can be you can you can be in this room and be in it confidently knowing that I will be here to support you in whatever emotion you're gonna go through during the day as long as we can like work together like if right. we can find some ways it has to yeah you can't just like, explode all the time you know like there are other people here and we all need to be respectful of each other but I am going to support you through an emotion so you can like trust me in that yeah um what are some ways that you think would be helpful to starting to build that trust like you can't just assume that kids are going to come in and be like my teacher is someone I can trust right yeah I saw this great um article that was written about a school district out in Aurora, Colorado, that, you know, right at the beginning of the year, they surveyed students and sent out pictures of the entire staff. And they had students identify one adult that they felt that they could trust. It didn't have to be their teacher. It could be someone in the school building, custodian, a school discipline officer or something, the nurse, it could be anybody but that they had to identify one trusted person. And that person did weekly check-ins with that student. And that was something that was great because they gave students a choice in who they felt comfortable going Uh to. And the adult was also given a sense of responsibility and accountability that I have to check in with this student every week and make sure that they're doing okay. 
Did they do that with every student in the school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, so there was someone in the school checking in with every kid. Yeah. And that was a way to kind of also just make the entire school accountable for student mental health and well-being, yeah. right? That we're all kind of taking ownership of this. Uh-huh. Um, other thing for teachers that can be helpful too is, is recognizing and proactively um, anticipating triggers for students or periods of transition that may contribute to more behaviors, because this really shows that you do know kind of what's, what may contribute to a student's stress or anxiety. Uh-huh. By you supporting that before it even happens shows the student, okay, you're taking the time to know kind of what's going to upset me and, and setting me up for success, right? Yes. We want to set up our, our students for success. And as teachers, we can kind of anticipate, you know, the ebbs and flows of the school year of kind of, we all go through a period of adjustment and transition at the start of the fall, at the start of every school year. Right, right. February, there's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to it and there's a predictability to it. And, you know, the months of February and April, we can kind of anticipate that students may be a little bit more burnt out as our teachers mm-hmm. during that time. Mm-hmm. So I think just knowing kind of anticipating some of those times during the school year where we may kind of see these fluctuations in, in student behavior um, and realizing that we are 50% of that interaction, right? That interaction, we also respond to it and react to it. And so that we need to be mindful too of how we're modeling and, and, and coaching students during those interactions. Um, Something that I've heard you say too, we've ta- we talk a lot about students and how we can help students in the work that we do over here. But something that I've heard you say is, or heard you talk about is self-care and that you actually can't take care of other people if your own needs aren't taken care of. Yeah. Right. And so um, we talked to earlier that we're all experiencing this, us as adults and our students. So what are some ways that we can support ourselves and each other, our colleagues um, during this time so that we can start to like focus on building relationships with students and creating that community of support within our classrooms? Yeah, I think, you know, one time I was at a training and, you know, hearing the the phrase like think of self-care as parenting yourself was like so revolutionary to me because <laughs> I always thought of self-care as like let me go get you know a mani-pedi let me go <laughs> right. or let me sure. go things like try yeah. treat yourself yourself yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's how I saw self-care and uh-huh. I think during COVID self-care became much more about survival and what I needed in that moment. And I think it really became a point of just really addressing just my basic needs, like Mm -hmm. making sure I got enough sleep, making sure I showered today, making sure I ate a complete meal. Like you said, you know, we went through periods of time where we might've been like skipping meals because we were so busy in the day-to-day and trying to get everybody else through what they needed to do. We forgot about ourselves. And so I really think it's important that as adults, we set boundaries um, and really make sure that those basic needs are being met, um, whether they're emotional, whether they're kind of professional, whatever they may be, but really prioritizing ourselves and our physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Because compassion fatigue and burnout are real. 
Um, they may happen just by being in the nature, the nature of the environments that we're in in helping professions, right? Like as a, a helping professional, like I, I do feel that. I, I feel kind of the fatigue and burnout of my students, of the practitioners I work with. These are things, their problems become my problems. Talk about what's compassion fatigue. What do you mean by that? It's That's kind a term of, I hadn't heard before. Yeah, it's it's a term that has been associated and linked with burnout where we start feeling more kind of a mental drain and, on our energy levels and experiencing really fatigue from just the feeling of compassion, feeling that empathy and compassion for others. Oh, so it's too it's, much. Yeah. Yeah. It's fatigue that's that's more from this vicarious experience of other people's feelings and, and, and pain that they're going through. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, for me, work supervising students that were in the field dealing with these problems and not yes. being able to help them or help some of the students that were being directly impacted by this really made me feel, you know overly empathetic where I was starting to feel more of that kind of learned helplessness for them. Right. And yeah. So, and yeah. So and you can start to feel too, like, who's checking in on me? <laughs> Here I am taking care of so many other people and their needs and their, like their struggles and all of that. Like you start to realize that you haven't checked in on yourself and certainly no one else recently has checked in on you too. So maybe that's something that we can do for each other. Right. Like setting, setting boundaries and really recognizing when the signs of burnout are starting to come up, right? Like if you're, what are those signs? Yeah, I can um, definitely, like if you start losing satisfaction for your job or Mm -hmm. for things that you used to, you used to be really enthusiastic and thrilled about are no Mm -hmm. longer bringing that joy. Mm -hmm. You start feeling kind of dissociated from, from interpersonal relationships within your job where you're no longer feeling accountable or linked to that sense mm-hmm. of just kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And when you no longer feel like you have agency. So I talked about learned helplessness with students. This also happens with adults, right? We start feeling like we have no agency or choice in, in the things that are happening to us. We're being more kind of passive recipients in our environment rather than really active and and it starts becoming more like going through the motions feeling kind of robotic in your day-to-day things and Mm -hmm. and it starts losing it starts becoming more of a an avoidance motivation where you're just now feeling more motivated to avoid the things you like (laughs) you used to like doing yeah Yeah. like answering those emails going to that classroom to help do an observation and and help a teacher like those things start feeling more kind of like burden rather than something that's that's a part of your job and that you like doing so those if you're starting to like if I'm going through that list and I'm starting to check off all of those like a lot of those feelings Maybe it's time to check in with somebody else or like reach out for help, something like that. Yeah. And ask for help because sometimes those things can seem like, you know, I think a lot of us experience fatigue and exhaustion during this time, but I think you should always ask yourself in terms of like the intensity and and how chronic Mm -hmm. these issues are, because that starts signaling that this is something that's, that's here. A real issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else too, I think, um, is, you know, along those lines is is finding the the type of social support that really meets your needs at that time. Um, 
for me, it was distinguishing what type of support I needed and how it made me feel after I got it. Because sometimes I wanted to vent and yes. vent to my colleagues, but then it became a thing where we were just complaining about everything <laughs> we were doing. And then that made me ruin never it. done that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's sarcasm. For yeah. Sure. Sarcasm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you realize that you start ruminating about the problem even more. Right. And then that contributes more to your stress and anxiety because you're like, well, you know, if everybody's, you know, feeling this way, then, you know, is, is this going to be the way it is? And so I had to find things that were outside of my work environment. So, you know, being on a, like I play soccer, I really like playing soccer. So I found a soccer team. None of them were in academia. Like, nice. so, <laughs> so we could talk about just other things, you know, that were outside of the things I was dealing with in, in my work environment. Yeah. Um, sometimes I reached out to friends that were my college friends or friends from back home that reminded me, you know, you talked about Steve and Blue's Clues. And, <laughs> and for me, like, reconnecting with some of those friendships really brought this nostalgia that made me very like reminded me of times pre-COVID and kind of the person who I was and and sometimes that's hard right realizing that you're no longer that person you were pre-COVID you're Mm -hmm. you're someone else now Mm -hmm. and and that's okay and so yes forever changed (laughs) yeah Yeah. And and I think too, what what you're talking about too, is um, reminding yourself that you're a a whole person Mm -hmm. with many interests and many facets to you. Like it's not, I think so often we can become seen through one lens. Like people see me as one thing, you know, or I'm looking at uh, my kids' teachers and like everybody sees them that they encounter during the day for the majority of their day, sees them as a teacher. And so it can be, it can be difficult to remind yourself that like, I'm so much more than this one thing that people see me as like, I do want to go and play soccer. That's a thing I love, you know, and, or I, I do just want to like hang out and watch something on the television, or I want to like go out and see a friend somewhere or, you know, just some, ask some other aspect of your life. It's important to, to visit those just as frequently as the one primary role that you fulfill in people's lives. Definitely. And I think something that was really helpful for me to do that was creating rituals and routines, you know, Mm -hmm. a routine is so critical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, That really helped me establish um, that sense of predictability that I needed in my life when I was feeling that I had this loss of control, but also anchored me to things that are important to me, right. And so my partner and I, we created kind of like the schedule throughout the week where we had, you know, mental health Monday and and that could look very differently for both of us, but it was something that Mondays were addressing this head on so we could get a good start to our week. That's awesome. Tuesdays were taco Tuesdays where I'm Latina. I love my tacos and I, we would get together in the kitchen, make some tacos and it helped me not only kind of, you know, connect both with my culture, but also established a routine where I could reconnect with my partner and, and yes. check in at the end of the day to see how we're yeah. doing. It's also helpful that you don't have to think about what you're making for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like one thing less to think about. <laughs> we need to do Tuesdays 
that's what we were having. Tuesdays we're having tacos. Yeah. <laughs> and then Wednesdays were wind down Wednesdays where we had, you know, we did something creative together. We had like a wine and paint night at home where we just bought some things, did some coloring or just yeah. that and debriefed. And guess what? Half my week was already taken care of. So by the time I got to Thursday and Friday, it was like coasting. You know, yeah, coasting. We got over the, the hump and we were able to then kind of not worry about what we had to schedule those days. Those days were just for us, but that's smart. Yeah. I wish you had been around earlier for me. I'm doing the same <laughs> thing now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like everybody, we're having the same thing every day. For dinner. No, that's not what you meant. I yeah. know that's not what you meant. <laughs> um, well, all of this has been so useful. The information that you've shared has been really tangible and um, doesn't feel difficult. I think that I hope that there's something for everybody to take away from the conversation that we've had today. Um, what's up next for you this year? You're going to be teaching, hopefully in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When does school, when do classes start? Uh, we start, uh, well, orientations and stuff start kind of the week of September 20th. So we still have a couple, a weeks, little bit of time, a like, little bit of time, but officially we start at the end of September. Um, yeah, That's I think great. for me, like a big thing that I'm going to have to do is be flexible and realize Ugh. that things are going to be continuously evolving, always changing, right? Yeah, I know here at the university, they came out with initial guidance for what the fall was going to look like, and then it's shifted and I'm pretty sure it'll shift again. Like <laughs> we're just constantly like, okay, yeah. what's coming up now, I know, <laughs> you know? Like, make a plan cool. and be ready to throw it out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a, a big lesson I took from my students, um, and even just students across different schools in general, where they were really losing motivation and losing kind of that engagement in the learning yeah. process was that we really have to work on helping students reconnect with the learning process and, and that joy for learning. Yes. Yes. And, and I kind of took that lesson to heart and and reconnecting with the research process and my and my joy in research and uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> um, my student uh, my doctoral student calls it the stoke factor. Like if I don't feel stoked about it, I'm like not motivated to do it. And so I like that. I really took that, you know, in, in terms of really prioritizing which projects am I excited about that speak mm -hmm. to my values, that speak mm -hmm. to issues that are really important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and one of those is school climate. Like, I think really, you know, working on building relationships, especially for our students that, you know, are in more kind of marginalized groups that are maybe are not having equal access to some of these mental health resources or supports. Um, so one of the projects I'm really excited about is actually looking at positive behavior support practices and what inclusive and supportive practices look like for students um, that identify with a sexual or gender minority. So students um, that identify as LGBTQ and, and looking at the social validity of these practices from the student's perspective. Oh, um, that's great. So we're currently in the process of recruiting um, not only teachers and educators, but uh -huh. also students that identif identify as LGBTQ or students that don't, but also looking at how, what's their perception of these practices, what's being currently done to address their needs at the schools, mm -hmm. and 
if they're not, then what practices would be more appropriate that would be more inclusive and affirming for their identities? That's um, incredible. What grade levels are you looking at? Middle school and high school. So we're currently re recruiting middle school and high school students. Um, we're trying to partner with some districts out here in Oregon to really um, distribute the survey to hear about their school experiences. Yes. Um, because a lot of these students, you know, are more at risk for bullying victimization, are more at risk for poor mental health outcomes, um, and are at risk for a lot of these things. But there are, there's also a lot at promise for these populations of students. And I think sometimes as educators, you know, we may have this one size fits all approach that that doesn't really and, and we really need to kind of hear from our students and hear their voices and how their stories fit into our curricula, how they fit into our practices um, to make sure that their needs are being heard. I love that. I love, I love anytime there's a project that gets student perspective and, um, and includes their voice within the project itself is so exciting to me. So I'm with you. The Stoke Factor is high. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I told him I was like, I'm sorry, I'm stealing that. Like, <laughs> I think I am too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much. Continued success to you. Good luck with your project. And uh, thanks for being here.